morning, church gathered at Pleasant Street. The Lord be with you. Thank you so much. And for those of you that are at home with us, welcome. We're glad you're here as well. Well, yeah. Anyway, um, if you may remember from last Sunday, it was cold and we were bundled up. And now it's warmer and we are inside. Last Sunday, though, we made, we built an Ebenezer. We brought our stones and we remembered where God had brought us from and we're trusting that where he will bring us is all in his good plan. So we've brought that Ebenezer back to the church. It's in the fellowship hall. We're going to leave it there just for a reminder for all of us that God is faithful and that he is here. This morning, we also will be celebrating the Lord's Supper, so make sure that you have picked up your little communion cup. If you did not, I'm sure that there, Emily was walking around to make sure everybody had it, but if you don't have it, um, I'm sure somebody can bring that to you. Just raise your hand. Um, also, for those of you that are worshiping with us at home, get your stuff ready, too. Okay, I think that's all the announcements for now. So why don't we quiet our hearts now in a time of preparation. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. I invite you to rise now in body or in spirit and join in our call to worship. And you'll notice from the screen, you get to start instead of us. Are you ready? Hallelujah! Praise Praise God in the temple in the highest heavens. Praise. Praise God's mighty deeds and noble majesty. All that is alive, praise. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's do it.
hard to know what to say after singing those words. Sometimes we just need the silence. But friends, in that knowledge, as we've brought our confession before the Lord when we sang, for thee all the follies of sin I resign, we know that God has brought that forgiveness. He wore those crowns, and he did that for us. And so that's why we then say we love you. And we celebrate because then in mansions of glory and endless delight, we can then ever adore him. What a day that will be. And we look forward to that day. But in that time, we know then that we have that assurance that comes from him. And that's that peace that comes to him. So friends, in that knowledge and that assurance, the peace of Christ be with you. Let's share that peace with each other now. And then you may be seated. Good morning, everyone here and out there. It's a pleasure to be together again. Before COVID-19, this is the point in our worship at which we would usually have an offering from the blessings God has given us, our opportunity to give back to God's ministry here. We are so grateful for the faithfulness that so many of you have continued to show throughout this time by continuing to give in support of the ministries here at Pleasant Street. In Matthew 5, verse 4, Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Today we mourn with and extend our prayers and comfort to the family of Steve Faber, who passed away earlier this week, and to Sonia Zile and her extended family in the death of Sonia's dad, Harvey Staub, this week. Please continue to be in prayer for both families. Please also be in prayer personally for Flo and Edie, who will both be having some surgery this coming week. There are many others who are facing other surgeries, illnesses, ongoing and we ask that you continue to pray for them and put them in God's hands. Be in prayer, too, for Ron and Deb as they are off to Michigan, awaiting God's next chapter for them. And for Matthew and Diana as they begin to wrap up their ministry in Palo Alto and begin to focus on their move and upcoming ministry here at Pleasant Street. As you can imagine, with two young parents, and four very young children. They have a lot of work ahead of them. So be in prayer for them. Uh, I'm sure it'll be a little tough at times. Continuing in ministry and yet preparing, packing, and getting ready to come here. Our tentative schedule uh, is that we anticipate 
that Matthew and Diana and children will arrive here sometime the first week in November. So be in prayer that that holds and that we'll be able to welcome them then. Let's go to our God in prayer. Father, we are so grateful that you never change. Your faithfulness continues from generation to generation. We see it in your natural kingdom around us. Whereas we see the beginnings of autumn color and anticipate another winter, yet know without a doubt that you will bring another spring to us. So it is, too, in life, Lord, that despite going through difficulties, be it unemployment, illnesses, surgery, personal relationships, or even the loss of loved ones, we can have confidence that you are with us. You've given us this gift, Lord, the gift of prayer. We can talk to you. What an amazing gift indeed. No matter what we're experiencing or facing, we can talk to you about it and know that you will hear and expect that you will answer. We can pray like the prophet Nehemiah did when he said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. And God did hear his prayer, gave him favor with the king, and provided a way forward to rebuild Jerusalem. We too can pray with the same expectation of your guidance and faithfulness, being sensitive to hear what you're telling us to do. You show us the way forward in and through all things. Lord, though we don't always know what the path ahead holds for us, your path, we can move forward, sometimes just taking one step at a time to do the next right thing and then the next right thing as your way forward is unfolded for us. In joyous expectation of what you will do. Amen. Hear God's word from 1 John 3, verses 1 to 7. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what, will we, what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness, 
but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives on in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. This is the word of the Lord. Hello, friends. It's good to be back again. I think that you drill right down to the root of who we are. There is something deep inside every one of us that, at the end of the day, wants people to look back at our lives and say, they made a difference. They, they did something that affected this world and made this world a better place. I've, uh, I've long thought that if I could choose my own epitaph, which I can't because I'll be gone and somebody else will do it, but if I could choose my own epitaph on my tombstone, it would simply have the, the words, he got things done. Uh, that's kind of how I feel. You know, made a difference in some ways. In concentration camps, they know that the best way to break a person's spirit is to give them meaningless labor. You know, the classic example is carry that pile of boulders from this side of the camp to that, and then the next day they come out and say, okay, carry that pile of boulders back from this side of the camp to the other again. And day after day, and the spirit gets broken because you're being forced to work at something that makes no difference. Back in the day, and if you know this song, you're giving away your age, there was a group called Iron Butterfly. And, and they wrote a song called Inagata De Vida, and it broke all the molds in an era where the radio formula was a song between two and a half and four minutes long, separated by two or three commercials, and then a song of two and a half to four minutes long, and then more commercials, and that's how they made their money on radio. Inagata De Vida was a song that went over 17 minutes long. And everybody said, it'll never get played because they got to play their commercials. And it got airplay. It got a lot of airplay. And the bass drummer, his name was uh, Gorman, said, no matter what happens in the rest of my life, I know I have been something, part of something that made history. He had made a difference. And whatever else might happen, he could look back and say, I did something that changed things. Today, I want to look at a biblical principle that is designed for us to have lives that count, lives that make a difference. And full disclosure, uh, it will not surprise you that when preachers do what I'm doing now, they tend to go back into the archives and they find something that kind of worked before and try to spiff it up and make it better and, and bring it back. And, and this is one of those. It's actually part of a series of four. But the beauty of this series is that each one does stand alone. So. Uh, if perhaps someday I come back, you might get two, three, or four, but uh, for now it's just number one. How can we make a difference? I read about a man named Richard. He was 25 years old. He had spent 
15 of his 25 years in institutions of one sort or another. He had been in psychiatric wards. He had been in city jails, county jails. He was serving a 10-year sentence in the state prison. He kind of figured this would be the rest of his life. One day, 40 businessmen, Christian businessmen, came to the prison in which 1,200 men lived, and they were going to hold an all-day revival. And it began with breakfast. And two, black, two, two uh, deacons, one black, one white, that's Richard said, came up to me and said, would you have breakfast with us and then come to the revival with us? And, and he said, the, the reality is I went to the revival not in response to any gospel or words, but in, the, in response to the love that they showed me. And he went to the revival and he gave his life to Christ and his life changed And it was hard for a while because he had been one of the tough guys who demanded respect and was willing to fight for it and to be at the top of the pile in the state prison system. And and his life changed. And he was asked later, how did that work when you refused to fight back and, and you responded with love and kindness instead of anger? And he said, well, at first it was hard, but once the men realized I was serious about Jesus, they began to respect me. At the end of the day, Richard was responsible, with God's help and the power of the Spirit, for bringing hundreds of men into faith in Jesus Christ. You want to make a difference in this world as individuals or as a church, we need to walk the talk. It is so easy for people like me who are theologically trained, but also for people like you to talk about how good Jesus is and oh, how I love Jesus and God, you're so good. And, and we can say the words and we can talk about how much we love our community and we care about our community. But until we live it, people will look at us and say, just more hypocrites. Albert Schweitzer said, example is not the main thing in influencing others, it's the only thing. Example is the only thing. We need to be people of integrity, people whose lives are marked by the reality that what we say is real to us the way what he said was real to Richard in prison. His life changed, the men saw it, and they began to respect him because of how he lived. These Baptist businessmen came in and they invited him to breakfast and he responded to them not because they talked about Jesus but because they demonstrated love to him. James 1, verse 22 says, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. There was a man who, a couple, who who were going to get married, and as I have done for decades now, when people ask me to marry them, they went through a series of pastoral marriage counseling talk about resolving conflict and, and you know, loving each other in spite of differences and all of the kind of things that we talk about in premarital counseling. And at their last session, just before he was going to marry them, the, the, the pastor said to them, I, I have something to tell you. He said, my wife and I are getting a divorce. And, and, and they said, we began to wonder if anything he had said was true. We began to wonder if anything he had taught us would help us to stay married. And it was because he didn't live what he said. And so three things working together that will help us to live the lives we say we want to live that demonstrate the fact that Jesus does live in us and that we care 
about what we believe and live what we say. And the first thing is to commit to living up to our full potential. I think one of the things that so often limits us in walking the talk and demonstrating the love of Jesus and allowing people to see who we are in Jesus is that we don't really believe what the Bible tells us about ourselves. We're afraid to try. A man who was driving on a country road and not sure what happened, but he ended up in the ditch and walked to the nearest farmhouse and and he uh, went to the farmer and he said, I'm in the ditch, can you help me get out? The guy said, well, sure. He said, let me go old Daisy, she'll help you get out. And he went and got his mule called Daisy. And brought her out to the car and roped her up to the front of the car. And, and Daisy was kind of old and kind of blind. And the, and the man yelled out, go buck! And nothing happened. And then the farmer yelled, go Charlie! And nothing happened. And then he yelled, go Daisy, and Daisy pulled, and he got that car out. And after the car was out, the, the man said, why did you say, go Buck, go Charlie? And, and he said, well, Daisy's kind of old, not very confident in herself. She's kind of blind. If she thought there was nobody else there, she would have never tried. I think sometimes we have that same attitude. We say, I'm only one person. What difference can I make? I'm, I'm just a sinner, I mean, God can't use someone like me. I'm nothing special. But what does the gospel say about us? In the passage we just read, the apostle John says, friends, now we are children of God. And what will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we will be like him. We'll see him as he is. John says, the best is yet to be, but we are growing into what he has made us to be because we are already children of God. We're destined to be like Jesus. And when we know that we're children of God and that God has created us for greatness, we can say to ourselves, I will not settle for mediocrity in the way I live my Christian life, in the way I live my life in this world in 2 Corinthians 5, we read, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Not will come. The new creation has come, and the old has gone. The new is already here. The Living Bible puts it this way. When someone becomes a Christian, a new, new life has begun. So the first step to walking the talk and consistently demonstrating that Jesus dwells in us and that we mean what we say when we say we want to be like Jesus and that we love Jesus with all our heart and God has forgiven us in Jesus is to understand that God has already changed us. Now, the change isn't complete. I get that. But the new is here, and the new is becoming, and we have to strive. I sometimes wonder... I. I read bulletins. I've been a pastor for 40 years, give or take, and, and I've written these announcements and put them in bulletins myself. And today, it's, uh, it's about um, open door, and we need some help in open door. And over the last couple of weeks, I've seen Howard and Marlene asking for help. I think it was in Children Celebrate Recovery or something. And, and I sometimes wonder, why do these announcements run week after week after week? Why doesn't somebody just step up and... And, and I do wonder whether it's because people are saying, I'm just one person, I'm nothing special. 
I'm a sinner. God can't use me. And the gospel tells us God can use all of us. Commit to becoming fully what God has already begun in us. Number two, spend time with Jesus. Be deliberate about making time for God and Jesus in our life. There's a verse in the passage that was just read that I used to misread. It says, no one who lives in Jesus, no one lives in him, keeps on sinning. And it goes on to say, if you keep on sinning, you don't even know him. But I read this, no one who lives in Jesus keeps on sinning, and I read it as no one who keeps on sinning can be living in Jesus. And so I'd look at my life, and, and I'd say, I'm not such a good guy. I, man, I screw up all the time. I, I sin all the time. I, I, I don't want to, but I do, and it sometimes seems like I can't control it. And Anybody say amen? Yeah, yeah all of us feel that. And, and so then I'd read this verse that no one who's living in sin can be in Jesus and say, I guess that means I'm not in Jesus. But then I go back and look at it again. What does it say? No one who lives in Jesus will keep on sinning. And that's a declaration, and that is truth. And I think one of the reasons some of us don't ever make progress in this fight against sinning One of the reasons some of us don't ever get beyond the, I can't help myself, I just keep on doing it, is we honestly don't make a whole lot of time for Jesus in our lives. I can't tell you. It it, it would count in the hundreds that I've said, we, we need to make time in our life. We need to open the day with some daily devotions, or we need to set that hour, half hour before we go to sleep at night will be the time that every day we spend time with God, that we, we, we pray and we open the Word, and, 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 and we dedicate ourselves to finding time during the week or during the month to spend time with God's people and let iron sharpen iron, and, and we, we, we learn from each other and we encourage each other, and... And for so many, and quite honestly, in the age of COVID, it is easier to just not do it. We had small groups we would go to, and we can't do that anymore, and so we don't spend time with Christians the way we used to. And and then we wonder why we don't make progress. When we immerse ourselves in the presence of God, the Spirit of God begins to permeate who we are, and we will not continue living in sin. We will continue to sin, but we will not be living in sin. It will not mark our lives as the primary factor. Have you ever noticed how when someone who was raised in West Michigan, me, moves to New England and lives here long enough, I lived here 10 years. It's a long time ago now, but I did. And by the time I left here, I was saying things like bubla and frap. You know? I, I mean, I had all these new words in my vocabulary, and that long, flat, eh, Midwestern drawl was still there. You, I, I couldn't pretend I'd been raised in Massachusetts. But, but the edge had been honed off because I had spent time with you. It's the same when we spend time with God. Some of that sin nature, some of that desire to do what we know we shouldn't begins to wear off. But we meet, 
need to make time with him. No one who lives in him, no one who spends time with him will keep on sinning. And so, you know, number one, we have to recognize God has made us a new creation. We're changing, we're growing, and then we need to spend time with God and, and live in Jesus and allow his presence to permeate our lives, to, to rub the sin edges off and make us more like him. And, the, and then finally, we have to be deliberate about looking for the opportunities to do what we know we ought to do and what we can do. John Wesley once said, do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the ways you can to all the people you can as long as you ever can. That's pretty much all the time. You know, in the passage we just read, we read, do not let anyone lead you astray. It's the one who does what is right that is righteous. It's the one who does right that is righteous, not the one who talks about it. An eager young evangelist once approached an Amish man and said, are you a Christian? No, he's going to give him the gospel. And the Amish man looked at him and he said, why why do you ask me if I'm a Christian? I could tell you anything I want. If you want to know if I'm a Christian, go and talk to my banker. If you want to know if I'm a Christian, go and talk to the people who buy corn from me. If you want to know if I'm a Christian, go and talk to my wife or my children. And they'll be able to tell you because they'll know what they see in my life. There's a time that we have to put up or shut up. Just talking won't do it. People have to see. There's an old pastoral saying, but I think it's true for all of us, that people don't care what you have to say until they know how much you care. You can say whatever you want as often as you want until people see that your lives change and you care and you love and you show it. They don't care what piece of anything about what you have to say about Jesus or anything else. In Ephesians 2, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. In other words, doing good isn't going to get you to heaven. It's just a response for God having already promised you You've been saved by grace, through faith, not of yourselves, it's God's gift, it's not by works. No one can boast, that's where some people stop. But it goes on to say, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. It needs to be an inevitable outworking of who we are and how we are being changed and what God has decided for us. Charles Spurgeon once said that people measure our deeds as dollars and our words as pennies. They don't care what we say. And, and I think here's the important thing. I believe in the importance of organized ministry. I think it's good that we get involved. I've mentioned already that we appeal for someone to become a mentor through Open Door and, and to help in that way. And that would be a wonderful thing to do, and it would show your love for the community and, and for the students and the school system here and all that kind of thing. But the most important kind of good that we can do is the kind of good that we don't schedule. It's not in our day planner. It's, it's when we're just going along. And, and we, we, we see someone along the side of the road with a flat tire. And you can see they're helpless. I had something like this a few months ago. It was a... Uh, Sweet little old lady, I think she was about 83 years old, 
and she'd gotten her driver's side front tire. She'd let it go low, so low, in fact, that the rim cut right through the tread. And so she had this, like, donut tread sitting by the side of the road and a frayed tire. And she had no clue what to do. She was completely frazzled. And Sandy and I were doing our daily two-mile walk, and we just stopped the walk. And by the time I, I spent an hour with her, waiting for her service to come and all that, she was so grateful. I'm not trying to brag. I'm just saying that's the kind of thing that happens. Those opportunities come, and it's, it's so easy to say, I've got a schedule. I've got places to go. I've made commitments. I, I, someone else will help. No story in the Bible like that? Called the Good Samaritan? Yeah. The preachers went by and said, oh, I'm busy. I've got to get to Jericho or Jerusalem. And then the Samaritan came along, and he broke his routine, and he stopped. 1 John 3, verse 18, a little later than we read here, and this is from the Living Bible, but I love the rendition. It says, let's stop just saying that we love other people. Let's really love them and show it by our actions. When those unexpected opportunities come and you can break your schedule, you can bring some groceries to the shut-in down the street. You can even pay for them. You can, I mean, they're all, the opportunities are endless. Please take the time. One last story, and then we'll close, and we'll go to the table. There was a young man who felt like he was called to missions. His name was Ray. And so the mission agency sent him to wherever it was in Africa, and, and the first thing he had to do was learn the language because how do you communicate the gospel if you don't know the language? Makes sense, right? Trouble is that Ray wasn't the brightest bulb in the pack, just intellectually. He, he had a big heart, but he, he struggled and he struggled, and he never, ever did become fluent in the language. But one day, somebody came and asked the people, what does it mean to be a Christian? And none of them could clearly articulate what the doctrine was. But finally one of them said, look at Ray. That's what it means to be a Christian. If we want to make a difference in this world, my prayer is that when you, someone you know is asked, what does it mean to Christian, be a Christian? They'll say, look at Oscar. I know Oscar. I think people could. Look at Sue. Yeah. Look, look at us. Look at the people of Pleasant Street. And like the early church, which in the face of persecution changed the world, not because of words, but because the people of the uh, cities looked and said, see how they love one another. We will begin to change this world because people look at us and say, see how they love. Shall we pray? Lord, it's so easy to get wrapped up in what we've got to get done. We've, 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 we've got, to, got, got to finish the assignment. We've, we've got to get to that appointment. We've got to 
take care of ourselves. And people say, we hear them saying, I love you, but we sure don't see it. Help us to truly be a people who don't just say that we love other people, but who really love them and show it by how we live. May our lives change this world, both because of what we believe and declare, because that's important, but also as important by how what we believe and declare has changed the way we live so that people can see and people can point and they can say that's what it means to be a Christian. Thank you for making us those kind of people because in you we are already a new creation. In Jesus, amen. We come to the table, and I believe all of you have the little individual cups. I hope so. For, uh, for a long time, it has been the standard of the church that this table is not just a symbolic picture kind of thing where, you know, the, the bread reminds us of the body and the cup reminds us of the blood, and so we have a picture that that, that helps us remember the glorious truth that Jesus went to the cross undeserving and without sin so that he could cover our sin, grant us his grace, guarantee our salvation. It is that. It is a picture. It does help us remember. But it is also a sacrament. It is, it is a sacred reality by which and through which, as we receive it with hearts of faith, our Lord communicates himself very directly in a wonderful and mysterious way into our lives. And because of its sacramental nature, we ask that people not take it flipply, lightly, thoughtlessly. The table is for those of us who know that we have sinned. Well, we're living in Jesus, we're trying to sin less, but people, you know, I heard you all say amen earlier when I said, boy, this is tough. This is tough. We sin. We don't, we don't just make little mistakes. We offend God and each other. But we don't stop there. We are also a people who know that through Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Our sin is washed away. We, God doesn't see it anymore because he sees us through the gift of grace in Jesus Christ. And because of that, we have been changed and we are committed to living the kind of good life I've talked about this morning. And if that is your heart and that is how you come, and I hope that's all of you, I'm not trying to scare anyone away, but come in that heart and in that spirit and God will offer himself to you. Reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we know that while we still struggle with sin, you still love us. We know that while we still break your law, you have forgiven us and poured your grace out on us. And we receive these gifts as a recognition and a declaration an acknowledgement that we are receiving again and again the glory of that love and the wonder of that grace. Bless us now in these elements. In Jesus, amen. The bread which we break is a sharing in the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Take and eat. Remember and believe that the body of our Lord was given for the complete forgiveness of all of our sins. The cup for which we give thanks is a sharing in the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Take and drink. Remember and believe that the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was given for the complete forgiveness of all of our sins. Christ communicates his grace to us in so many ways. This is one of them. Let us pause and give thanks. Lord Jesus, thank you for having established the supper as a continuing remembrance of the glory of your grace. And as a continuing methodology and conduit through which we receive again that grace and that forgiveness. May we, empowered by your presence, as we live in Jesus, go from this place and may our lives reflect the change that your presence and your grace are making in us. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We invite you to rise and sing, we are called.
May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord always turn his face toward you. Walk in his peace. Amen. Go from this place to love and serve the Lord, and please let other people see you doing it. Amen.